Welcome back, Richard. It's good to see you. Uh, we are right at the end of the school year for just about everybody. I think. I think um, you know we we ended here here in our area in our school district. School ended uh, almost a month ago now, uh, but uh, school all over all over the country is starting to wrap up, um, and so it's fitting that we're going to talk about education a little bit today. Right. Yeah. Each week, um, we try to select a topic that addresses important mental health matters. Um, but mental health is this broad, this big tent, this broad field that includes topics across the lifespan. And, and then the other thing that affects what we talk about is um, we seem to, each week, we seem to encounter some sort of mental health or some kind of crisis that has mental health implications. Yeah. Um, two weeks ago, we talked about the shootings in Buffalo and Uvalde. Last week, we talked about all the reasons that we have to be anger and how to manage that anger. This week, of course, this was a pretty eventful week. Um, we yeah. have the January 6th um, hearings, the, the Capitol riot. Um, those hearings are ongoing and, and yeah. they're creating a, a certain amount of passion. Um, we had our first um, first congressional agreement on gun control of some type, you know, the first time in history that the uh, Congress has been able to agree. Yeah. Very rare bipartisan event. And then, of course, Friday's decision by the Supreme Court, which is uh, discussed. Um, yeah. Still being discussed today, uh, and I'm sure it'll be the topic of discussion for a while. And while it's while it's tempting to to talk about the psychological implications of of whatever the hot topic is that week. Um, it's also important that we return to issues that affect us year after year, day after day, um, and, and whose solutions remain elusive. And we talked about, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about solving complex problems. And one of the topics we're gonna to talk about today is one of those complex problems that uh, has been uh, terribly elusive. The solution to the problem has been terribly elusive. Absolutely. And of course, that as as I sort of um, the spoiler alert that I gave earlier earlier was that um, we're going to talk about education um, right. and specifically public education, because um, it, it certainly has been in the um, been a focus of a lot of discussion. Um, you mentioned passion. A lot of passion um, comes out, out when people talk about education. Um, and so we're going to talk about that some today because, right. you know, when we, we we talk about the founding fathers, right? These these yeah. these guys from a long time ago, um, who who worked to um, sort of set a foundation for for what the country is going to be about and what we're going to do. You know, they they talked about an education system that's that's free and 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 available for all all kids. Um, you know, and and at that time, you know, certainly there's no way that they could have imagined where we would be today. Right. You know, um, life 200 years ago um, was right. vastly different than, mm -hmm. than what we live in today. Um, they, they did a pretty good job of, of setting a foundation just as they did with, with everything, right. many other things. But mm -hmm. um, but like so many other things, education system has had to evolve over the years um, and, and, and become something somewhat different than it was right. when it began. 
Yeah, what, what, one of the people don't realize that the founding fathers were, were really interested in education. Uh, it was a topic of discussion between Washington and Jefferson, um, even, even uh, at the founding of the country. Um, but if you, if you think about it, and you're right, um, they, they decided that, that we should provide a free, if, if citizens were going to vote for their, um, govern, for their governors and for their legislatures, that they need to be educated. To be educated, right. they need to be able to read. So let's educate. Let's educate. And that was an experiment. That was part of the experiment. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of a free um, education, that we would educate all, all citizens, all children, uh, to become knowledgeable citizens. So it was, a, it was an aspirational goal. And for the first 100 years, roughly from 1820 to uh, 1920, it was a it was a fairly straightforward task. Uh, most kids went to school to learn to, to do reading, writing, and arithmetic. And then they would go out into the workforce. And by, so by 1900, even, even as late as 1900, the majority of children attended school for an average of seven years. Right. Most, kids didn't go, most kids didn't go to college. I mean, only the elite, the, the privileged elite went to college. Most kids... Um, didn't go to college, so they didn't need to go to high school. They didn't right. need that college preparatory work. Right. And I, I think that that's an important point. It, you know, high school was, you know, when it was started, when, 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 when the mm-hmm. fathers, when the, the, those founding fathers of the education system um, mm-hmm. created high school, it was, it was set up as a preparatory system for college. And so if you weren't going to college, you didn't go to high school. And, and, and in fact, even today, when you talk to a lot of people from um, areas where they, they, they didn't complete um, school, mm-hmm. that is about the time that a lot of individuals, you know, left school, they, you know, seventh grade, they have a seventh or eighth grade education. Um, and then they went into the workforce. And you, usually it's manual labor, um, factories, um, farms, and things like that. But um, again, you know, uh, for the for the majority of people, that started to significantly shift and change um, within the last hundred years. That's right. Yeah, um, the second the second hundred years is a completely different picture. Right. right? So if you think of um, the 1920s or 1930s as the beginning of the second half, so from the 1930s to the present, it's a completely different story. Um, and if you go back and look at the history of education. You talk about budget cuts, man. When the Great Depression hit, sure, um, there were massive budgets cuts. Hundreds of teachers were were uh, thrown out of work. Uh, schools were closed. Um, there just wasn't money for, to fund education. But of course, after World War II, by the end of the 20th century, so we move up from the 1930s, and you have World War II. And after World War II, you have this this massive influx of money into education, but it wasn't just money. Um, the, the 1950s, after World War II, 1950s, we began to see external pressures beginning to affect educational institutions as they hadn't in the past. Right. So that in the 1950s, we have schools um, struggling to integrate. We, we wanted to integrate society, so what do you integrate? You integrate the public schools because um, in 1954, you had Brown versus Board of Education and said separate is not equal. 
Right. So you couldn't have two separate school systems. And um, I remember in a previous podcast, one of the things you said that I think is really, it's certainly fitting here and it has stuck in my mind um, because I think it, on the podcast was the first time you had said it in a way, at least in the way that I heard it, right? Many of our, our, our social uh, systems changes, uh, our, our big shifts in, in society began in the schools, yeah. So, so integration began in the schools. Um, you know, a lot of the social uh, adjustments that we've been looking forward mm-hmm. to and, and we're wanting and fighting for began in the schools. That's right. The schools are the places where these things, where these changes are made to occur. Right. And integration being one in the 1960s, schools are buffeted by political, the social and political unheaval upheaval that we saw in the 1960s and schools were affected by that. Um, We had all kinds of experimental um, schools were set up, the Waldorf schools and Montessori schools and different alternatives to public education. In the 1970s, it was the era of education of all children, uh, including those with um, challenges, uh, handicapping conditions. And then in the 1980s, what happened in the 1980s were pivotal because by the 1980s, um, we began to get concerned about the failure of American schools, that American schools were somehow uh, falling behind. The American educational system what was falling behind other countries like Russia and Japan and, um, and other European countries that we just weren't keeping up. In 1983, uh, there was a publication called A Nation at Risk, and it sounded an alarm that that education is failing. And that notion, which really isn't true, wasn't true in 1983, that notion is still alive today, that somehow there's something dreadfully wrong with our public schools. And if you look at the data that, that, that A Nation at Risk used, um, if those data have been reanalyzed since then, and even though there's plenty of evidence to suggest that, that education is not falling apart and, edu- and U.S. students are not falling behind, this notion that there's something wrong in education continues to persist into the present. Right. And, and, I, and, I, and so in the, in the 80s, it really seemed as though the focus was on how we compared to other countries. And, and so we, we are considered, we're considered at risk and falling behind because suddenly we're comparing ourselves to, to these other countries. And, you know, I, I always think that that's a, um, that's a, that's a risky proposition because cultures and societies are different in different, in different countries. They, they have different values. They have different sets of expectations. And, mm-hmm. you know, sure, we can, we can try to create um, measures that are sort of consistent across the board that we use to, to measure. Um, life is still different. Um, you know, when you talk about some Scandinavian countries where, you know, mm-hmm. students Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they don't, they don't really start to, to read and write until, you know, they're seven or eight years old. Whereas, you know, here we're starting when they're four or five years old and, right. you know, it, it's just very different because family structures are very different. Um, community structures are very different. Um, in, my goodness, the, the, um, the governing bodies are very different. You know, it, I, I, right. life is very different when you have universal health care. 
I, I think that that leads to a very different set of circumstances for most families. That's right. um, and so when you have all of these other systems in place, certainly education, which is a, a, a crux for all um, societies, all, all um, countries, um, certainly that's going to be very different with when right. everything else around it is very different. That's right. And so by um, education is a fundamental institution in most countries, it's certainly in, mo in all developed countries right. um, and even in developing countries, education is valued. You see those pictures of, of kids being educated um, under whatever circumstances exist. So education is a pillar, it's an institutional bedrock in most countries. But by 1983, in the 1980s, and remember the Cold War was still cold, it was still going on in the 1980s. And one of the things, and you remember the Reagan presidency where we talked about Star Wars and these different missile defense systems. So the Cold War was very much um, alive then. And, and we, were, we were always fearful that our, that our country our, and our students were somehow falling behind, that we weren't keeping up and our schools were to blame for that. So by, 19, by the 1980s, schools, um, what happens in schools becomes a political topic, a, a topic with political implications. Right. And so the, the idea that schools are somehow failing means that we have an education crisis and that crisis has to be solved. Right. And one of the problems in education that doesn't exist in most other institutions is that everybody has gone to school. And it seems like because you've gone to school, you somehow know how to solve the education crisis. And, you know, I've been to school, I know what's needed. Well, going to school and knowing about education are two vastly different things. Right. And, but we have this effort um, that we call educational reform. We're going to we're going to solve the education crisis. And so we have this effort beginning in the 1980s uh, for educational reform. Right. And I think that the, there, there are two sort of two sides to this coin. Yeah. On the one side, you have what the, what, what the federal government has done. The federal government began to get into education in the 60s and 70s with um, integration and then No Child Left Behind. So the federal government began to get more and more involved in what had been a state um, um, concern, a concern that, that only states were involved in. Federal government got involved. And we and you'll recognize these names. Yeah. You know, like, like no um, in the 1990s, it was standard standards based education that we right. had to we kids had to achieve certain standards. And from that we got high stakes testing. Right. Yeah. And, and then and then that evolved into, you know, Nickleby or No Child Left Behind. Um, we have the, the whole um, conversations and, and the push for the race to the top. Uh, then we had Common Core and uh, I guess most recently, every child succeed, every student succeeds. Um, and, and it's all of these are, are systems that we that were put in place by the federal government to to push education forward or, or with the idea that they were going to push education forward. And, 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 you know, we get into those, when you look at some of those programs, um, 
I think that most people in education immediately saw that, well, there's no way that's going to work. I, I remember when Nickleby, <laughs> uh, No Child Left Behind was, was first um, right. you know, presented and we're thinking statistically, there's no way that every child is going to read on grade level. I mean, right. that was the goal, right? That by third grade, every child, third grade, every right. child will be reading by on grade level by third grade. Well, statistically, that just can't happen. I mean, there is there there are things such as learning disabilities and and um, intellectual disabilities and, and things like right. that. There yeah. are such things as trauma and life circumstances that prohibit a you know interfere with a child's ability to to learn to do some of these things. So we knew that it was impossible, but yet it was pushed and published and um, passed, and and, and it's. Just made no sense. So we have that on one side. And That's the other right. Side and you, is, is the special interest groups. Right. That's right. Because uh, on the other the other side of the coin is you have uh, what I call special what we call special interest groups that want to dismantle public education as we have known it. The, the, right. the idea that we would provide a free public education to all children um, in our public schools that they wanted to dismantle the public schools and they, and they want to replace them with something. But I've never been quite clear what something is because what we hear about is, well, we should, we should stop funding public education and instead replace public schools with charter schools, magnet schools. Uh, we should use vouchers to take, take the money that's take money that's meant for public schools and give it to families to pay for education in private schools or charter schools. And I've always, I don't know how that, I'm, I'm never sure how that's supposed to work. I, I guess somebody could tell us, but if you shut down the public schools and, and if you shut down the public schools, remember March of 2020, mm -hmm. when the public schools shut down, it sent a tremor through the entire country. Right. Um, women had to stop working, um, mainly women, had to, had to leave the workforce because they had to be home with their children right. because the public schools were closed. And so imagine that happening every year. Imagine closing the public schools forever. And, and that's what people are calling for. Let's shut down the public schools. And I'm just not sure what will replace them. Right. But people talk about, well, we'll have, people will be able to choose their schools. Only if enough schools exist to absorb all the students who right. once went to public school. Right. I mean, when you think of uh, many or, or most cities, even small cities have four or five or six elementary schools. Right. Um, so, so regardless of how the system is set up, whether it's a public education system or their charter schools or magnet, you're going to need four or five or six elementary schools. Right. <laughs> it's going to be the same students. Right. Um, they may be divided up differently to different schools. Um, mm -hmm. and, and then what you end up with is something that we've talked about many times. And this is what we're, we've seen in our area um, quite uh, vividly. And, and that is a, a two-tier education system. Right. You have those schools that have, um, you know, lots of resources and, and they have the strongest students, um, students that don't need extra help, students who 
almost learn through osmosis. You know, they just need to be in the setting and they'll, they'll build, get the skills. Um, right. And then you have the schools where, you know, the students struggle and they need some additional support, whether it's emotion, social emotional support or it's educational ag- academic support. And, and you have this magnificent discrepancy between right. these between two schools that could be, you know, a mile away, a mile apart, and you have vastly different populations, vastly different performances by students. Um, and, and it's hard to believe that that's what we want. Right. And, you know, when you talk about um, public education, states have something called a Department of Education. Mm-hmm. We have the Florida Department of Education. It's their job to make sure that schools are high quality. It's their job to make sure that schools are safe. It's their job to make sure that all students are actually meeting the requirements. It doesn't matter what building they're in. (laughs) If you have, if the entire state of Florida has nothing but charter schools, let's say they they accomplish their goal and every school is a charter school. Well, the Department of Education still has to make sure that those schools are safe, that they're that they're educating the children, that there is a curriculum that is being followed, they're going to have the same restrictions that the public schools have. Right. Okay. Even if they're all private schools, somebody's going to have to assure that that the schools are doing their job, that the schools are safe, that they're clean, that they're providing nutritious lunches. Those regulations come from the Department of Education. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to matter whether the schools are public or private. The Department of Education still has that responsibility and they're still going to have regulations. Right. The other thing about educational reform, and you 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 kind of let kind of introduce the idea, educational reform is now about what do we do about the children who are underachieving? Right. How do we what we, what is called the achievement gap? Mm-hmm. How do we get these? How do we get all children up to grade level? That's what No Child Left Behind was about. So since the 1990s, it's about how do we educate kids who are struggling? Mm-hmm. Um, how do we get them up to the to, to grade level? And that has been a very difficult um, problem to solve. That's that's been something that we don't. We don't really know how to do that yet. And right. that's, that's become the focus of educational reform is closing the achievement gap. In the meantime, though, we have all of these exter- external events that are creating more chaos in public education. Mm-hmm. The most recent was the pandemic. It wasn't the only one, right. but the most recent is the pandemic. And along with that are these school shootings. How do we keep schools safe? How do we close the achievement gap? And how do we protect our schools from these, um, from these external forces? Right. So whether we're talking about the, the approaches and the <clears throat> attempts by the federal government to create these you know, standard-based um, ed- education systems and, and programs, mm-hmm. or we're talking about what the special interest groups want with, with charter and magnet and private schools, um, none of these are, neither of these approaches are really finding any success and and we're continuing to have as you just described you know we're continuing to have the issues with the achievement gap um and and now many times instead of having an achievement gap between a couple of students between students in a classroom we're finding achievement gaps between schools 
And sure. so hundreds of students over here who are doing really well and hundreds of students over here who are doing very poorly. Sure. Um, and now we have achievement gaps that are, that are much larger. Um, and, and that makes it much more difficult to, to address. Right. And so, um, you know, you know, the pandemic kind of brought the school system back into the spotlight and, and some of the issues that were had there. Um, and all the while, the ones, you know, the folks that are really doing all the work and really trying to help, you know, move things forward and, and right. results of these are teachers. That's right. That's right. We talk about the federal government, the U.S. Department of Education. We talk about state governments, the Florida Department of Education. We talk about special interest groups, charter schools, magnet schools, private schools. What does all this come down to? Education reduces to a classroom teacher. Right. Okay. No, nobody knows more about this than classroom teachers do. And that's been true since the beginning. Right. Is if you want to know how things work, ask a teacher because right. they know better than anybody else. They are the experts. And yet they have the least amount of, they have the smallest voice right. in all of this. Right. So, so recently the, the New York Times surveyed, they, right. they asked a, a thousand teachers um, some questions uh, to see if they what what answers they had what what thoughts they had about the education crisis and right um man um there's some there's some consistent and recurring themes in in their responses that's right now say whatever you want this wasn't a scientific survey it was just the new york times and in fact um some of this was done locally i think the uh, there are some news programs in our area who have done a similar thing they, they've gone out and talked to teachers um, about um, education. I think it was, it was uh, spurred, spurred by the uh, pandemic, you know, when the pandemic hit um, and teachers were asked um, about their opinion. The New York Times did it on a larger scale. They, and they asked teachers to, um, to respond to these questions. And the first thing that you realize when you, when you read the results, when you read what the teachers are writing, is that teachers are incredibly dedicated. <laughs> it's amazing. They really care about kids. And that comes through in these writings, that they, they really are dedicated to kids. If you're teaching today, you are really, I think, I think the overwhelming majority of teachers are clearly um, dedicated and care about their kids. And you see this during the pandemic because in the early days of the pandemic, this would be the fall of 2020, we were still very much in a life and death mm -hmm. situation. The, right. the vaccine had, had been introduced, but um, when you were in a public setting, you were, and I remember we had discussions about that, that teachers who had compromised immune systems, mm -hmm. who were being treated for cancer, teachers who were elderly, if they were over 55 or 60 years old. The COVID-19 was a life-threatening yeah. condition. And yet teachers re returned to the classrooms. Remember keeping the desks six feet, six feet apart, uh, mm -hmm. masking kids and all that stuff. But teachers, knew, schools were disinfected. Remember that? Yeah. Disinfected every day? Mm-hmm. Uh, cleaners would go in and clean the schools up. Right. Teachers were literally risking their lives to re-enter classrooms. Right. That's dedication. Uh, absolutely. And 
with their dedication, um, or maybe maybe in spite of their their dedication, you know, some of the issues that we that they expressed and some of the issues that they 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 presented in their responses, you, you know, it's almost embarrassing to to think that this is what we have to tell them. You, you know, they don't. There's not the money. The money just doesn't exist. And I, and I remember working in the schools, hearing people say, "Well, we just don't have." The money to do that. Right. We want you tell, to risk your life. <laughs> yeah. How do you tell teachers that you just don't have the money to give them the things that you're saying that they need to have? Right. Mm-hmm. They, they, they need to have these things in their classroom. They need to be doing these things in their classroom. But we don't have the money to give you um, to support you having those things. We'd like to do it. We just don't have the money. Right. Now, this is the wealthiest country on earth. And we just don't have the money to support our, and teachers know that. Teachers right. know that the money exists. Um, they know that they're not getting it. They know that state legislatures are not giving them the resources that they need to do the job that they're being asked to do. Right, okay. so, so in, in relation to that, you know, they just don't feel supported. So, you know, while, while we're asking them to do all these things, we're wanting them to do more, uh, to do, do it better, to do it faster. We're also asking them to do it with less. Right. We're not giving them the things that they need to, to accomplish these goals that we're setting for them. That's right. And, and if you think about it, in the last almost 60 or 70 years, we first of all asked teachers to uh, integrate their classrooms. You know, you, you, it was up to the teacher to make an integrated classroom work. And then we asked them to, um, to include children with handicapping conditions deal with that problem. Okay. So we asked them to do that. And then we asked them to make sure that every student is reading a grade level by third grade, do whatever you need to do Mm -hmm. to make sure. So we're asking to, now it's mental health. Now we want you to deal with students, mental health issues that these kids are going to be kids who have mental health issues are going to be in your classroom. And we expect you to do whatever you need to do to make sure that those kids are supported and are educated. And so each decade, we see more and more responsibility being heaped on teachers. And so teachers know that they're being asked to do more. They're being asked to do it better than they ever have. And they're being asked to do it with fewer resources. I mean, that teachers, know, these dedicated individuals know that they're being asked to do more with less. Right. And, and, and what one of the things that the pandemic did, um, or at least brought to light, is right. this, um, and, and I love the way that they put it in the article, that the idea is that they have to time travel. Because, <laughs> right. you know, now, so if we want to... Uh, maybe maybe delude ourselves just a little bit and say that the pandemic crisis is is diminishing. Um, meanwhile, you know there's there's an uptick in in prevalent <laughs> rates everywhere. Um, so we have teachers going back to school, and what we're wanting them to do is we want them to take the students who have just been through all of this. Right. We we have third graders that this this past year we had third graders who have never had a typical school year. Yeah, they, they just never had a typical school year. We're going to we want you to take those students and kind of go back two years to February of 2020 before the pandemic and and look at what was going on then kind of pick it up as though nothing ever happened. And then 
man, why isn't thing, why aren't things working out? Why aren't students doing as well in, on tests right. and, you know, in these big performance uh, standards-based assessments, high stakes, right. why aren't they doing as well on their, those tests as we would expect them to? That's right, because at the end of the last school year, we still had high stakes testing in Florida. And so that's what they mean by time travel. You, you just, you can't ignore the fact that for two years, we had chaos and confusion. We had some stability, but we're not going back to February, 2020. Right. And, and we, can't, we, 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 did, we can't expect teachers, but that's the expectation. Well, the kids are back, everything's back to normal. There is no normal. Okay. Right. Yeah. And, and I then think the other thing is the great resignation. Absolutely. And this is something that is, I think you have to be in the schools to see this um, yeah. because students are many students, not, not all students, of course, but many students are just less engaged. They are not. Um, I, I don't know if it's because schools tended to bend over backwards to make sure that students progressed and and that we weren't you know i don't know that any student in in the 2019 2020 school year i don't know that any students were retained um that year not that retention is 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 you know helpful really but you know it, it offers remediation it offers a lot of but students were just kind of pushed along um the same kind of thing happened in the 2020-2021 school year. Students were right. kind of pushed along. And um, so students got to the point where, um, you know, hey, we're, we're just going to get pushed along. Um, or, it, you know, if I have anything lower than a C, they're going to give me a recovery packet. And, I, you know, I'll just do some of that. And then I'll get my grade up to a C and a C is fine with me. Um, that's passing. That, that'll get me to, you know, where I need to go. And so a lot of students have become very disengaged with the educational uh, system and they're just at school creating behavioral issues and creating lots of other problems affecting relationships and right. lots of things that are really causing a lot of problems that's right yep and and so just as there as many workers left the workforce we we've all heard about the great resignation a similar thing happened to school children you know, they, they sort of lost momentum and lost their sense of purpose. And they just don't go to school the way they used to. And it's going to take time to recover. Um, other teachers are saying, get, get rid of high stakes testing. Yeah. Um, I guess enough said about that, right? I mean, right. we don't need that. We, we need to evaluate kids, but not the way we've been doing it in the past 20 or 30 years. Right. Um, and then the, 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 the other notion that it's very hard you were in the schools during this, during this very difficult period. Right. But it's really hard for the general public to understand just how much stress the pandemic added to an already stressful job. Right. You were there. You saw it. I, I, absolutely. It and it's, it's stress because, again, so much, is, so much about the teacher or for the teacher is tied to student performance on some of these high-stakes tests. Right. Um, you know, there are schools, there, there are elementary schools in our, in our district, for example, where um, almost half, if not more than half in some schools, uh, about half of all third graders are going to be retained this year. Now, in, in certain schools. In some schools, right. Um, not, not, not across the board, but in some schools, half or just about half of thir all third graders are going to be retained. Think about what that 
think about what that means because teachers, um, you know, whether you think about incentive pay or you think about, you know, again, just reviews, evaluations of the teachers are all influenced by student performance on some of these tests. And if, you know, about half of your students are, are being retained, um, that, that, is a, that is a significant shot to, you know, the teacher's performance, to, the, to what, what's going to happen to the teacher, whether the teacher is going to, you know, be asked to come back next year, or they're going to be asked to find some, someplace else to go, or, you know, just not to mention the, the logistical issues of having a, a, a third grade next year that's going to need two extra classrooms, mm-hmm. and a fourth grade that's going to need a, two fewer classrooms. Um, it's just, um, it's just remarkable that we're in a situation that we're in where, um, we have these kind of problems. Yeah. If those students didn't meet criteria, that means the teacher was held accountable for that. Absolutely. Even though you have all these extraneous circumstances of kids missing school, of parents, of all the things, of all the upheaval, Mm -hmm. it's really the teacher that's teachers pay, teachers position, right. their, their livelihood could be affected because they might, they might be considered um, inadequate right? when it's not, it had nothing to do with them. Right. They, okay. Yeah. So, so talk about stress. Yeah. You know, I mean, this puts the teachers, it's an, an insanely stressful job, especially at certain grade levels. Um, for, for dealing with all of these things. So, you know, it's not surprising that teachers are feeling that kind of stress. Right. Yeah. Imagine going to work and being held accountable when you can't control all the variables. Well, Richard, it's like, if, if, you know, our ability to renew our license as um, clinical providers, we're dependent upon the success rate of our, of our patients. Right. You know, we have a lot of patients who do very well and they, they progress. Yeah. And then you have other patients who, you know, they struggle because they keep falling into old patterns and old habits and things. We can't control. That's true. All those other variables yet, you know, to be held accountable to, for, for, for what somebody else is doing and what else is happening in somebody's life. That's, that's a really tall task. That's right. Teachers are held accountable when they don't control. They can't control what goes on at home. Yeah. Or, or illness or something. Okay. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a it's a high stress job, um, and teachers teachers are are becoming more aware of this, and yet their voices are not being heard. Nobody's really talking to them about how to make this better. Right. Um, so when you read these teachers' comments, there's a couple of there's several themes uh, sort of running through them. One is that teachers teachers are fully aware that they're not valued. That right. their opinion, their work, what they do is not valued, and, okay. and as a result of that, or maybe as a re- related factor to that, they know that while there probably could be more money allocated and available to them, it's not provided to them. Um, yeah. You know, because of d- different laws or different things that are set up in this political system, and that money's just not provided to them. That's right. Uh, these are budget considerations, and the 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 legislature will allocate so much money to education and that's all you're going to get. And so teacher salaries have been notoriously low over the years. There was a time, in fact, when I was teaching where teaching was not nearly this difficult Mm -hmm. and it was considered to be a pretty good job 
because you had vacations and summers and you could make a decent salary, particularly if both, um, if, if you had a couple and a married couple and they were both teaching, you could make a pretty good living. And it was a fairly, it was, a, it was a difficult job, but it was a fairly, it was a far less stress right. than what we're facing today. Right. So um, today you have these, this enormous pressure being placed on teachers that didn't exist um, um, during most of the 20th century. Right. So the, and they, so they're, they're underpaid. They know that nobody's listening to them. And, um, and now they're watching these external forces right. adding additional stress to an already stressful job. Right. Yeah. And, and so, you know, here you have them, all this responsibility placed upon them um, with these high stakes, um, high expectations and, and high consequences if those expectations are not met. And right. at the same time, they're watching arguments and fights in school board meetings um, and, and protests about what books they're allowed to use and um, where they're allowed to, you know, what they can talk about and what they can't talk about. Or, you know, are there these buzzwords that if they if they are if they're said, then the teacher's going to get in trouble and could get, you know, could get fired for, for saying certain words. Right. Um, and we're not even talking about like very inappropriate words. We're talking about words that could be on, on a G-rated uh, television program. Right. I, I can't imagine the additional stress that that's creating when teachers are told that they're not allowed to talk about certain things. Right. Or, uh, and, and teachers are saying that now that I'm not sure what I'm allowed to talk about, what I'm not allowed to talk about. Um, and it's created additional stress in addition to the stress that's already on them to close the achievement gap, to get all kids at grade level, to manage the, um, the destruction caused by the pandemic, the, the enormous changes that have occurred. Now they have these outside forces um, impinging on them of, of what they're allowed to say and what they're not allowed to say. And that if they do say it, um, they might get punished for it. Right. You know? uh, so, just so the, 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 I think the message from these teachers is um, just because you're an just because you went to school doesn't make you an expert. Um, none of us, I don't think any of us would try to tell our dentist how to do a root canal. Right. Or how to, how to, how to tell your surgeon how to fix some joint or some organ in your body. We, right. we wouldn't dream of telling any other professional how to do their job, but for some reason, we feel that it's it's okay for us to tell teachers how to do their job. Right. Uh, teachers are professionals; they're dedicated professionals, and we don't have any more expertise here than we do in the dentist chair. Right, absolutely. So, so as we kind of wrap up all of this, you know, I, I think it's important that we recognize right off that, you know, the, these the push that that we feel sometimes about closing public schools and just going in different directions, it, it, that's, that's not really an option. Um, you know, the pandemic kind of demonstrated that to us. Um, and, and if you just pause for a couple of minutes and think about it, you, you will see that intuitively that that's not a solution. Um, you know, the students will be the same. If you're thinking that having a charter school will will make the um, make it better because the teachers can do different, let's just let the teachers in public school do what they do. Right. Right. That's right. Um, I mean, if you can, if you can 
put teachers in a charter school that they're, who they're going to do a great job and and everything. Why can't they do that in a public school? Let, let's right. sort of take the brakes off um, from some of these things that we're we're trying to prohibit and let them do what they do. That's right. Yeah, but talk about school choice. Everybody, you know, we'd love this idea of school choice, but it's not. It's not school choice is not an option unless you have enough choices. Right. And right now we don't. Right. Uh, we don't. We don't have. If 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 charter schools are good, then let's make charter schools. Let's make all schools charter schools. But right. then what do you have? Public education. Right. I mean, it's still the same students. Still the same students. Still the same system. Still the same Department of Education. You, you, nothing really changes. If charter schools are that good, make all schools. In our county, we have magnet schools, these high-performing magnet schools. Well, turn all schools into magnet schools. Right. You know, why just have a few? So if you want school choice, make sure you give parents enough. Make sure you give students enough choices. Don't do it by lottery. Okay? Right. And, and, and so, you know, we used to have, and I guess we still do have PTAs and things like that, where parents right. and teachers are working together. There was a time. Yeah. But we need to kind of back off of this idea that that parents and you know politicians, to be honest, are are the ones trying to control everything. Again, you know, if you're not in education, um, if you if you didn't study education mm-hmm. um, and how the educational system works, then you're not an expert in education. Right. right. So, so, you know, your opinions are value are important, but they're your opinions. That's and, right. It doesn't mean that it's what's right for everyone. Yeah, so- that's right. There, there was a time when parents and teachers worked together in PTAs. Now what we have is we have parents and politicians demanding that they control the agenda. Yeah. That's a very different way of, um, of educating kids where you have certain groups who can say, we, we demand to have this control. What, what, and they get together and they, they try to ban books and they ban social emotional learning or, you know, they want to fight about uh, critical race theory, which isn't even a, a part of public education. Right. Not, not part um, of what we do. Part of their curriculum. So, um, you know, they think that they can, they want to come in and, and take over and ban all of these things uh, uh, towards people who are traditionally underpaid, um, overworked undervalued is saying that we don't trust them. Um, It's saying that we're going to punish you. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember when we did the, um, we were on that book review committee. And um, I, and I think one of the things that stuck out in my head the most was um, that depending on how some of the the things worked out with these, the the review of some of these books, including Pulitzer prize winning (laughs) books written by Nobel prize winners, um, that those people could be arrested. Right. Mm-hmm. Because they broke. Mm-hmm. They, they could be arrested for purchasing books for the public school system. Right. Library. Right. That's right. That's what we're asking. Mm-hmm. And, and, we're, and, and why would anybody want to go into that job if that's the risk? That's right. And, and many are leaving. Many of these media specialists say, I just can't take the risk because I don't, I don't, I could, I could be breaking laws. I could be punished for breaking laws. Okay. Right. But when you, when you start banning, banning books, banning topics, banning this, making this prohibiting teachers from, you're sending two messages. One is we don't trust you. And, and so here you take these, 
these dedicated people who are underpaid say, despite all that, despite all you do, despite all we ask you to do, we really don't trust you. Okay. And also the other message is we're watching you. We're keeping our eyes on you and we will punish you if right. you if you defy these orders. And we see that in almost all states right now, that yeah. we're watching and we'll punish you. What kind of message is that that we're sending to teachers? Okay. Is this the message we want to send? Right. Yeah. So so as you said, you know, teachers are leaving the profession in, in droves. And um, you know, we're we're already struggling with having enough qualified teachers. Um, you know, it's not uh, it's not an ideal situation for many of those qualified teachers to be leaving. Um, but but that's what we're doing. We're setting this up. Um, we're setting them up to fail. We're setting them up to um, face undue criticism and undue um, harassment uh, sometimes. And um, you know, it, again, like you said, is that the message that we want to send? Is that what we want to do? We need to we need to thank teachers for what they're doing. Um, appreciate. The work that they're doing and the attempts that they're making to um, meet all of these expectations while at the same time um while at the same time enjoy their job enough to be kind to kid kind right. of kids you know that's right right um you know as we you know so what does all this have to do with mental health well here, here's what it has to do with mental health here we are in the summer we're we're approaching july and we're asking, we would ask you to, if you're, if you're a parent, if you're involved in education, <clears throat> or if you're involved in lawmaking, use the summer to think about how you want to um, support teachers mm -hmm. in the coming school year, okay? Uh, we're gonna continue to have these school board battles, okay? Special interests are gonna continue to, um, to chip away at what's going on to, to inter, to include, to um, insinuate themselves <clears throat> into the educational process. We'd ask you to think about, during the summer, think about how you want to approach the new school year. You know, there was a study done not long ago, uh, I think about two months ago, that reported that about 80% of parents are satisfied with the public schools. The right. overwhelming majority of people are satisfied with the public school system. So what we need to do is to, is to assist teachers, to support teachers, to, to attend board meetings and to um, do all we can so that teachers are able to do their jobs and they're able to maintain their own mental health. We're, we're, we're putting teachers in a situation that is damaging their mental health. Right. Okay? And so what we ought to be doing, not only as parents, but as citizens uh, and as stakeholders in public education, is we ought to be supporting our teachers, right. uh, both privately and publicly. Let them know that you're there. Let them know that you're supportive. Absolutely. Right? And don't let these special interest groups, regardless of their motives, regardless of what they're trying to push, let let schools do their jobs. They're, they're, they're doing a good job under very difficult circumstances. Um, support teachers in their efforts. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, all right. Well, I think that's it for today. Until next time, Dr. Marshall, I'll see you next week. Next week? Yes. So until then, stay happy, stay healthy, and forget to be afraid. <laughs>